in our fourth uh, week of our Connected series that we're doing this spring, and I'm really, really excited about today. And I got to tell you, I have, I have three points to cover, and one of them has enough for a sermon, so I hope I get to the other two because the, the last two are really the ones that I was assigned to preach on. Uh, so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, This is a really important passage of Scripture, and what we're talking about today is being connected to the church. So we've talked about family, we've talked about our our friends, our other relationships, we've talked about being connected to God, and all of those connections are kind of an increasing and growing responsibility for us. And so we have today the opportunity to talk about being connected to the church This is really, really important. And I can tell you this, not many people in our culture believe this is important. I can tell you, statistically speaking, not many Christians think this is really important. I am so grateful. I cannot tell you how thankful I am for our members at Coastal uh, because you guys are crushing it. even in just coming to church, you are crushing it. Uh, I can tell you this, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much of a numbers guy. I try not to talk about it much, actually, because it's not just about, you know, people in the pews. It's about what God is doing in the hearts of people. But from last year this time to now, Coastal has grown by 37%. That's incredible. In the culture we live in, very few churches have grown at all let alone by over a third. God is blessing your faithfulness. And so as I preach today, I want you to know I'm preaching and I'm challenging you and I hope to, but I want to spur you on to keep doing what you're doing because God is using you as you stay connected to the church, all right? So isn't it interesting though, church life, the nature of church. We, We come from backgrounds of great variety. We, we're socially different, culturally different, economically we are uh, have diverse backgrounds. We look different, we worship with unique tastes, we have varying personalities, we have different interests, we even have diverse political leanings. We enjoy varying leisure activities, we shop at different stores, we even cheer for opposing sports teams. We come from a broad variety of church backgrounds, and we're all under one roof on the Lord's Day. All of these things provide us with numerous um, opportunities to be like a group of porcupines on a cold winter's night. Because it's chilly, and we snuggle up nice and close, and then it gets prickly, and then we've got to back off. And then it gets chilly, and we come back together, and it gets a little prickly, right? It's not always easy, but it is always worth it when the people of God come together. Because it's cold out there. It's not warmed as it is when the Spirit of God is moving among his people in his house. So we're going to conclude this series connected, talking about our relationship to the church. And I want to begin by saying that meeting together is purposeful. There is a reason why we do this. And it's not only because we're just supposed to. There's more to it than that. 
I want to actually read this section for you, but I'm going to begin back in verse 19 before we get to the one that we usually preach on about going to church, right? So let me go there. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Meeting together at church is purposeful. There are reasons why we do it. It has to do, first of all, with the work of Jesus. Those first couple of verses are really significant. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. The writer to the Hebrews is, is referring to something that the people reading it would have been very well acquainted with, and that is that when Jesus died, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from top to bottom. Now, it was really tall and really thick, and nobody got up there on a ladder and ripped it. God tore it, indicating symbolically the way to God directly is no longer blocked. Because in the Old Testament, the high priest was the only person who could ever go in to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. He was the only one who could go there to represent the people to God. And he did it on what we, we call Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It comes in the fall every year. And he went in there, and you know what they did? They tied a rope to his ankle in case he did something sinful before the Lord while he was in there so they could get him back out because nobody else could go in there. God tore the curtain open because through Jesus, we all can come to God. It's incredible. So this first section is talking about the gospel. It's talking about the confidence we have and the priest that Jesus is for us so that when we come to God, we can do so because there is hope. So what is the response of the believer? Three things we're to do. Draw near with a clean heart. That's the gospel, right? We don't come to God. We don't draw near unless we have a clean heart. So in case you're here this morning and have never trusted in Christ or don't know for certain that your relationship is right with God, can I tell you what Jesus did? He came and lived the perfect life that you will never be able to live because, let's be honest, we've all already messed that up. It has to be 100% perfection, birth to death. None of us has that. None of us who are reasonable people thinks we have that. We may, by comparison, think we're better off than somebody else, but that doesn't matter. We judge ourselves by the standard of God's perfect holiness. So Jesus came and lived up to that. And then he died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin, was buried in a tomb, and actually literally came back to life again on the third day. 
So how do I get my heart clean so I can draw near to God? I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel about Jesus that he died and was buried and actually bodily came back to life again. And then I receive Christ. I, I accept him as my savior. I repent of my sin. I believe the gospel. I trust in Christ. If you're here today and that has never happened, I want you to know that is desperately important for you. But it's not only the gospel. There is this ongoing growth. We're drawing near. That's what the the fancy theological term sanctification means. It's part of what we do when we come together as we grow in our faith. We draw nearer to God. So we draw near with a clean heart. Verse 23 says, we hold fast to our hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, as I was preparing my own heart to preach this this morning, I, I really became convinced that not only do all of us need to hear that again, but I think there are some here today who really need to hear that. You need to hold fast. Because there's stuff going on in your life that you have not the slightest clue why this has happened. How could this happen? Maybe it's a physical thing, a relational thing, a job thing. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, what we need to do in response to what Jesus did is hold fast to the confession of our hope. Where is our hope? It's found in Christ. So we're holding tight to Christ. We want answers. We want somebody to explain why did this happen? How did this occur? Don't hold on to the, the desire for answers. Some things you just don't understand, and that's okay. Do you know why that's okay? Because God is way smarter than you are. He understands. Just because you can't figure out why, just because you can't figure out a purpose for this, doesn't mean there isn't one. It just means you can't figure it out. My desire to bring God down to a manageable size, for him to give answers to me for all the stuff I don't understand in my life, is a dangerous thing because I heard this statement this week. It has really worked me over. A God who is small enough for you to understand is not big enough for you to worship. You don't need to understand. You need to hold fast to the confession of your hope. You need to hold fast to Christ and to a person who's never trusted in Jesus. That sounds just weird, right? It sounds like, what? that just sounds like you're holding on to hope. You're holding on to Christ. We need to rest in him. Hold fast to our hope. So we draw near with a clean heart. We're to hold fast to our hope and we're to provoke each other to good works. That's a really easy word to understand. When you were a kid, did you ever provoke your siblings? You goaded them into doing something, right? And I know all of us think our siblings goaded us into doing all the dumb things we did. 
So let's not blame each other too much because we really worked hard at doing that to them too. We were at a, uh, a meeting together yesterday and there was a family there with two boys and a girl, three kids. And one of the boys started picking on the sister and the, the dad said, no, 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 no. You can pick on your brother, you can't pick on your sister. I said, we should, we should start a new slogan. You fight with your brother, you fight for your sister. I think that's pretty good, right? I wanna make a license plate out of that. It is really, really important that we provoke each other to good works. We goad each other into doing the right thing, into doing the good thing, the important thing, the godly thing. It's the same terminology. We egg each other on. Usually, we think of that as exasperation and frustration, and we get in an argument because he provoked me. We are to provoke each other to love and to good works. Those three things we are to do, those, if you will, are the purposes for coming to church. We come to church so we can draw near to God. We come to church so that we can provoke each other to good works. We come to church so we can remember that our hope is secure in Christ because God is faithful. We sang about it this morning, right? It's easy to sing, not always easy to employ. Meeting together is purposeful. But secondly, in verse 25, that text I was actually assigned to preach for this, meeting together is expected. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as the, ha as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't neglect to meet together. Don't skip church. To put it simply, don't skip church. Church is important. It is important for us to be there. And it's when it says don't neglect it, it's talking about abandoning it, giving up, getting away from it, just bagging it all together. I'm not going to worry about it. Forsaking it. Don't consider church a non-essential for your family. It is essential. It's one of the kind of inborn things as uh, sometimes as young people go through struggles in their faith and they get into high school and in college and young adulthood and they begin to work this stuff out and they kind of begin to develop habits of not being in church and then they start to get married and they have kids. And what's the next thing they do? I really should raise my kids in church. That's true. It's important for us to come together. It's important for us not to skip church. I know sometimes it's just a bad habit. It was really hard to get out of the habit. Thankfully, for Coastal, we only closed down for six weeks back in the COVID days, right? And we came back to church again. But it was hard to get out of the habit of being at home. I mean, we're casual here and all, but probably PJs are just a little too on the casual side, right? Sitting on the couch in your PJs with a cup of coffee, that's not a bad Sunday morning. 
but it's not church. Listen, if you're watching us online because you're ill or because you're struggling or because you just cannot be here, I'm so glad you're here online. If you're watching us online because you just didn't feel like getting up, please come here next week. We need you here. It's important for us to be together, to meet together is the point of the text, right? And the next one on your handout, we're to meet together. It literally says we're not to neglect but to meet together. The word meet comes from the word synagoguing together. We're to synagogue. We're to, we're to come to the house together. That's the whole point. We're not supposed to watch it. We're supposed to come to it meeting together. And there's another word in there that we don't translate in English because it would seem really weird. So it's meeting together with yourselves. We're to be here with each other. Can you worship God in the woods? Can you worship God at the beach? Can you worship God from your couch? You sure can. But you can't be together alone. It doesn't work that way. We are told not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but be sure that we do meet together. Listen, we don't just tell you to come to church because we want more people in church. I mean, I'm glad there are more people in church all the time. I'm super excited about it. Meeting together is expected, but the question might be asked, is, is it just because there's a command or is there more to it? Is there more to why we should meet together? I want to encourage you to remember that meeting together is also valuable. Meeting together is valuable because it encourages. Don't neglect meeting together as the habit of some is, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. To encourage someone means their courage has waned, right? And you are renewing their courage. We need our courage renewed. Now, next week, when I first wrote this message, I hadn't started the, the next week's yet. And next week, we're going to talk about fanning the flame. So I'm going to give you just a, a little bit about that one because it's here. We come here because we need our flame fanned. I read a story one time about a, a preacher who went to visit a, a, a member of his church who had just stopped coming, hadn't been there in a long time. It was winter, and, and uh, he just didn't feel like coming out in the cold weather. And so the preacher just went to his house and visited him, and there was a fire in the fireplace. And uh, the preacher had mentioned to him that they missed him and wished he would come. And, you know, yeah, and he gave all his reasons why he just wasn't there. And At one point in time, the preacher picked up the poker and got a hold of one of the little embers that was in there and just kind of slid it off to the side and then he set the poker back down and they went on with their conversation and before the preacher left he looked over at that ember and said boy that thing has really cooled off hasn't it 
thanks for your hospitality, and he left. And of course, the next Sunday, that guy was in church, because that's a pretty poignant illustration of why we need to be in church. But it's not just for our encouragement. Here's the part I think we forget. Others need our encouragement. He says, encourage one another. You know, that's another thing you cannot do by yourself is do something with one another. I know you can send an email or a text. I know there are ways in our, in our day that we can minister to people. But at some point in time, we need to do things for one another. Church is not just about receiving. It's not just about what I get. I have a variety of responses in my mind when I hear someone say, I just don't get anything out of church. Some of them I don't want to say out loud. But really one of them is, well, okay, so what? Why are you in church? One of our young families uh, just recently uh, talked about this, this passage of Scripture, and he said that it reminds me of how some people approach church. He said, we just had a birthday party for our daughter. He said, what would it be like, what would I say if somebody came to me after the party and said, I didn't really get much out of that? I didn't, I didn't like the flavor of cake. The frosting was, you know, hard. I didn't like the music you played in the background. I, I, I just didn't get anything out of it. He said, I would look at him and say, well, the, the party wasn't for you. When you come to church, the party's not for you, right? We're here to worship the God who deserves our praise. We come here to honor the Lord. We come here to lift up his name. And we come here for one another. We come here to minister to one another, to care for each other. It impacts parents when you serve in Coastal Kids. It impacts visitors when you serve in First Impressions and you welcome and greet someone warmly. It, it impacts the body as we sing together when you serve on the production team or in our uh, worship team. When you serve the Lord at church, you are impacting other people positively for the sake of the gospel. We are here for each other, not for ourselves. I would suggest, perhaps, if you leave church and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that, I would ask, well, how much did you put into it? Did you come because you wanted something from it? Because... I don't even know how to say it respectfully. I was going to say it with due respect, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any one of us when we come here. Others need our encouragement. And it stretches me a little, right? It does stretch me just a little bit, sometimes a lot, when I come to church because I'm worshiping with people that are different than me, it helps prepare me for heaven. Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels that were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. See, by the way, just for the sake of uh, remembrance, it's a good thing to say amen once in a while. Just saying. They said amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. People from every tribe and nation and tongue and language meeting together around the throne of God. Church is a preview of that. We're different. We ought to be different. If you look around and everybody is like you in whatever category you look at, you're probably needing to get out and get some new people to join you, right? It ought to be a preview of heaven, and it ought to be exciting to us that that's true. It stretches me, though, because it's different than me. We're very homogenous people. We like to hang out with people who are like us. Church requires that I get stretched a little in that area. And can I be honest with you? It's going to get more difficult to remain faithful. As you see the day approaching, I think he's talking, of course, about the return of Christ. Here are some other verses that Paul used to talk about it to Timothy. Understand this, he said, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That could be read from most morning newspapers, right? He said to him in the last letter that he wrote to him, he described people who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Knowledge is multiplying at such an incredible rate in our world, and yet we're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. And then he said to him, charged him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. One of the reasons that we make such a big deal among our pastors at Coastal that we're going to preach from the Word of God is it keeps us from doing that. It keeps us from wandering off into myths. We want to know what God has to say. So I'm going to give you some thoughts, just a couple 
They're on your bulletin there. I want to challenge you to faithfully participate in church. I don't have to make caveats, right? I mean, we know if you're sick and you're going to spread disease to everybody, please, please, please stay home and watch us online. We know if you can't be here, you can't be here. But don't let the can't be here be something you scheduled. That's not can't. That's I decided something else was more important. Be faithful to connect and grow and serve and multiply. Be faithful in those things. Those aren't just slogans that we use. It's how we do that. We connect to God in corporate worship. It's how we do that. Together, we come together and we connect to God. We grow in community, in small groups, and spiritual formation classes. It's why we're constantly on you to say, we want you in a small group. You've got to be in a small group. It's really important to be part of a small group. We have spiritual formation classes. We have one going on right now. Every Wednesday night this month is teaching on this, the Holy Spirit, who he is, what does he do. They're going all across uh, Coastal's campuses. We serve. We serve here in ministry, and we serve in mission. We sent someone off who's going to live in Honduras and do mission, but you can do it for shorter seasons too, right? You can go on mission trips with Coastal. You can get engaged with CareNet and do the Walk for Life. You can get engaged with other ministries. Go be, participate in our food ministry once a month. There are lots of ways you can serve. It's really important that we do that. And it's important that we multiply. I would challenge you to look around in your life and say, who am I building into? Who is, who is being grown in their walk with Christ because of my influence? I hope there are several people. Here's why I want to challenge you to be faithful in church. You need it. Your church family needs it. Our community needs a church full of people who are committed to God more than anything else and who are going to come here to stage the army and then head out. Because the enemy isn't the community. The enemy is the devil. The community are our friends, many of whom are still trapped in their thinking and in their heart by ungodly thinking processes and practices not because they are consciously saying, I want no parts of that, but because we haven't connected with them and said, listen, you got to come check out what's going on in my life and in my church family. It's really important. We need to be connected, not just attending church, but being connected because we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We do that together. It is life lived together.